From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Well, hello and welcome to State of the Nation right here on today's News Talk TNT. And big shout out to you if you're in the chat room over there, tntradio.live. We do have a live interactive chat room on our website. So highly recommend you get on over there and jump in, drop us some links and stuff. We'll do our best to keep an eye on it. But we got a lot going on here. I'm Brian McLean broadcasting live out of a 27 degree central Texas day. Beautiful day with uh, frozen grass and ice on all the car windshields. And I'm here with Steve Hook, who's out of central New Jersey on the Jersey Shore, where the temperatures are about the same. Welcome, Steve. Happy Monday. Yeah, man. It's a happy Monday to you, Ash. It is a cold, chilly one on the central Jersey Shore. We're looking probably at a couple inches of snow later tonight. Um, but you know, it's winter. That's what happens in the winter time. But, uh, I tell you what, we're not as cold as they are in Iowa today as they get ready for the big raucous caucus. So, uh, at least <laughs> we can be thankful for that. I guess I always look for the silver lining, you know, Ash. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, uh, speaking of the cold, Steve, I got to give a shout out to, uh, ERCOT here, the electric reliability council of Texas. Now, their grid operator today asked residents to conserve electricity as uh, temperatures fall uh, below zero uh, with the wind chill in some parts of the state. Uh, the conservation alert comes one day after ERCOT issued a warning to Texas residents as the state braces for freezing rain, snow, and sub-zero temps, again, with the wind chill. Now, ERCOT manages the electric power to more than 26 million Texas customers and represents 90% of the state's electric load, according to ERCOT. Now, the Texas grid operator begged residents to avoid using large appliances, lower thermostats a couple degrees, turn off and unplug non-essential lights, and set pool pumps to run early morning or overnight. Now, um, <laughs> this is interesting, Steve, because me, as well as many other Texans, experienced a long-term outage in February of 2021, and it was quite harrowing for a lot of us. So uh, Texans have been out in the stores, <clears throat> uh, buying out the stores. I did an Instacart order the other day, Steve, just yesterday, actually, and I got a picture from the shopper of the shelves where the bread was and the water showing it completely completely empty so um very in interesting out here steve to see the way texans react now when these sort of messages start going out panic buying does ensue just a little bit no oh, yeah you're not kidding and it's always bread and milk which is kind of weird of course in yeah. COVID, it was toilet paper too that was a big one. Oh boy it's a you know we, you could probably we did put have plenty kid, of toilet paper i can report <laughs> yeah you could put a kid through college if you had a 36 roll um yeah back in the day um yeah it's uh you know i if only we could rely on more fossil fuels to heat our homes if only you know and this comes in the wake by the way of uh the biden administration cracking down on natural gas with more burdensome regulations last week. So, you know, they're doing everything they can to help the average working man and woman out there uh, by uh, crushing any ability to stay cool in the summer and uh, warm in the winter. So big help. Yeah. Building back better, don't you know? Yeah, so much better. A couple of uh, pertinent comments I saw users make under uh, this article here. 
First one, how did Texas, a state rich in oil, allow itself to be browbeaten into this green energy mess? What happened to don't mess with Texas? <laughs> I like yeah. that sentiment. Yeah, yeah I, I like it too. But when you're dealing with these people, man, I mean, you know, the feds are going to just step on you. What is it they say? What's the old the old adage that the it's the nail that raises its head that gets the hammer? And yes. Texas, of course, got the hammer. Uh, but we all are getting the hammer in our own way, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. A couple more comments I enjoyed here. Left-wing nut jobs moving here. That's what happened as a response to that previous one. Read this morning, Apple is closing its San Diego op and moving AI ops to Austin. More left-wing nut jobs will be invading. The next commenter said, good luck, MFers. Should have stuck with oil, natural gas, nuclear, hydro. Wind and solar are liberal pipe dreams. And uh, finally, I love this one. First world countries are not supposed to have these problems and didn't until recently. Thank goodness yeah. I can just get get out of here in my new electric car. <laughs> I, I don't know how good they are in snow. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't want to risk it. Just like I'm going to I'm going to bank on the fact that all of the electric car plug in stations are heated and warm and dry and ready for me to pull up in <laughs> four degree weather. Yeah. No. Yeah. Give me a give me a, a 350 gas guzzler any day of the week over that. Absolutely. Hey, at TNT, we never go home. We're committed to bringing you our take on the biggest topics of our time. We broadcast live 24 seven online globally. No matter what, we got you covered on today's news talk. Conversations to inform and include. It's meant for everyday people to understand. Today's news talk radio, TNT. Well, the White House appears to be the latest target of swatting after a bogus 911 call led to fire trucks and ambulances swarming the historic building just this morning. Here with story, joining us now is TNT news producer Adam Clark. Um, Ruckus. I didn't know one could call in something like this. What happened? First of all, I want everyone to know it was not me. All right. Now, <laughs> cool. We can proceed. Uh, yeah, no, apparently fire trucks and ambulances swarmed the White House. That's right. The White House. Uh, this was uh, this morning, Monday morning. Uh, apparently a caller uh, told 911 dispatchers that the building was on fire and that someone was trapped inside and uh yeah all of the media has picked this up and uh calling it uh, you know what it appears to be a swatting incident because <laughs> we've seen a bit of those recently uh luckily president joe biden was uh not there he was safe at camp david when the call came uh <laughs> dc fire and emergency services dispatched 13 units in response Wow. But the call was quickly determined a false alarm. The White House now appears to be the latest victim in the dangerous swatting trend that is sweeping the country. Indeed, it appears you're nobody unless you've been swatted lately. Uh, the call was made around 7 a.m. on Monday morning, sparking a large emergency response before it was determined to be a false alarm. The call to the White House was traced to a fake number, according to a source speaking to CNN, the call, which came at 7.03 a.m., was determined by District of Columbia Fire and Emergency Medical Services and U.S. Secret Service personnel 
They put all their heads together, and gentlemen, they determined it was fake, a false alarm. A DC dispatcher said at 7.04 a.m., quote, fire in the White House, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And then 7.15 a.m., an all clear was declared. Uh, someone who was reached at the callback number uh, for the 911 report indicated they did not place it, according to a source speaking to the Associated Press, indicating it was likely spoofed. Interesting. Biden is scheduled to return to the White House on Monday afternoon after spending the better part of the day in Philadelphia for a service event in honor of Martin, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which is today. The United States has seen a ramp up of swatting incidents where this is, of course, a false report made to police with the express purpose of luring them to a location, which, of course, is dangerous for everyone involved. Uh, law enforcement experts say that the calls are a product of a hostile political climate during an intense presidential election season. Whew. They come up with this by themselves. Uh, politicians such as Georgia Republican Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Boston Mayor Michelle Wu, Florida Republican Senator Rick Scott, and Special Counsel Jack Smith have all been victims of it. And yes, it's clear what they all have in common. Uh, last week, police in Nassau County, Long Island, responded to the home of Judge Arthur Engerin, who is presiding over Donald Trump's civil fraud case after receiving a call about a bomb threat. A county police department spokesman said they are investigating it as a quote-unquote swatting incident. The Justice Department has expressed concern about the threats. Attorney General Merrick Garland said last week that they are investigating an increasing number of threats to public figures. Garland said, quote, at the same time that we are seeing an encouraging downward trend in violent crime, we are also witnessing a deeply disturbing spike in threats against those who serve the public, end quote. Uh, and it's not just them. In addition to public officials, high profile celebrities like Justin Bieber, Miley Cyrus, Tom Cruise, Ashton Kutcher um, and Kim Kardashian have been victims of the practice. So, yeah, uh, as I indicated jokingly, apparently uh, you're nobody unless you've been swatted. So. I don't know. Just kidding. I don't want to be swatted. How about you guys? What do you think about all this? Oh, man. I don't want to be swatted either. I, I, I'd prefer to be a nobody than be swatted. You're right, though. The, the, the danger of this is uh, is so obvious. I mean, if, if, if you happen to be a gun owner and you hear people pounding on your door at 3 a.m., you may show up with a gun in your hand. And who knows where that could lead. So it's just so it's so stupid. And I would say that the person that swatted the White House uh, has got a huge pair and not much in the way of common sense because I would think that the Secret Service will be all over that call and they will uh, do everything in their power to, to you know, track down ex exactly who did it because it's one thing to swat, uh, swat Engron or MTG, uh, but when you start swatting the White House, I, I think that's going to get some attention, but I don't know. What do you think, Ash? Well, uh, it depends from whence the call came and how serious they are about investigating it. I mean, who knows? Uh, who spoofed the call? Maybe it came from the Open Society uh, front office or from Langley itself. I mean, 
who really knows? Um, but I agree with you, Steve. We do. We, we come from a country used to be the sort of country where if something like that happened, we would get answers. A name would be named. Somebody would be made example of. But we don't live in that country anymore. It's not the America we grew up in. And uh, I won't be surprised if nothing comes of this. I mean, uh, what's an emergency at the White House these days when Hunter runs out of snow? You know, uh, they never found <laughs> out. They never found out where that little uh, piece of criminality came from. So that was conveniently swept under the rug or hoovered up someone else's nose. Who knows? So, yeah, they, they can't trace the fake number. OK, um, why is it they know every every Catholic activist, every, um, you know, every two A rights activist, anyone, you know, freedom of speech activists like they know J6. everything about yeah, J6, like we're going to spend three years following everybody that flew into DC. Just going to pause what the TSA does, whatever that is, I'm not sure. Um, but then we'll use them to follow anyone who was in the air doing flights um, three years ago. So, you know, the way that resources are looked, it's just like, what, what do you, what big data? You got everything. You've got everybody's cell phones tracked. You've got all this stuff. You know exactly which parents are parents' rights parents and using. IRS to, you know, be weaponized against them and things like this. It's like, how do you know everything about everyone yet when something like this happens at, you know, such a high, the highest of high profile places when it comes to, you know, our infrastructure, perhaps politically, um, well, we just probably can't figure it out. It's spoofed, just traced to a fake number. So, mm, you know, more political violence. Uh, yawn, I suppose. That's what they want people to think, that this sort of thing is normal and that there's nothing that can be done about it if the media presents it in this way. Yeah, well, and you know, hey, listen, all you need to do is look at what happened at the White House just the day before yesterday. A whole bunch of pro-Palestinian uh, uh, protesters were out there, but not just pro-Palestinian, pro-Yemen too. And they uh, they evacuated the White House because of it, for gosh sakes. No insurrection calls, no arrests were made. Nothing. I don't even give a damn what the topic was, but just the fact that these people would surround the White House like this and get so violent. And what are they going to do? Nothing, because that is their base. And uh, I, I, yeah, they could get to the bottom of all of this crap if they wanted to. And I'm with you, Hesh. For some unknown reason, hmm, wonder what it could be. Uh, they don't want to. There it is. Yeah. <clears throat> polarizing the public against each other. Yeah, definitely. That's a pretty good reason. Um, Ruckus, to Steve's point, I noticed that the White House um, and the Capitol Police spent about two days preparing for said protests. They put fences up all the way around Pennsylvania Avenue so no one could even get near uh, any of the critical buildings. Interesting fact, though, they knew the same thing about J6 coming up, yet their agents were busy being undercover and building fake uh, hangman's nooses and, and the like. So, um, pretty stark contrast there. Ruckus, anything else you want to throw at this one? The whole emergency management system appears to be quite selective and broken. Uh, somebody needs to do a, a fake SWAT on the southern border. Maybe they'll send some people out there to take care of that emergency. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me, gentlemen. We'll speak in the next hour. All right. Yeah, seriously. You know, yeah. the other thing I'll say before um, I cut to break here is, you know, it's like, what the heck is going on? What the heck is actually going on? Someone gonna, someone could call the border and say, hey, uh, yeah, we've got a problem here. You know, we'll send a SWAT team. People are getting trafficked. 
I bet no one would show up. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk. TNT Radio's Patrick Henningsen. There's a dark cloud which is gathering over Ukraine. This has been an absolute disaster. In the last month alone, as I reported previously, Ukraine's lost 13,000 troops in October. So what does that mean? Well, you can guess that recruitment is probably down. So right now, the government in Kiev, the Zelensky government's doing forced conscription. Morale is at an all-time low. Uh, we've also seen conscientious objectors uh, who are taking to social media like Telegram, who reported uh, that they were just finished a six-month prison sentence uh, after refusing to go to the front line. Some of the forced conscripts rebelled, were imprisoned for six months, did a six-month sentence, and then the day before their release, they were put into a van and then sent to the front line. I kid you not. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Take us back in time, and who was Mike Flynn? He was the National Security Advisor to the President. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming President of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. At this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism, or you're talking about communism. Socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism, but the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The fall of deceit at Salem now. It's time to switch on today's news talk radio. Very entertaining. TNT. Okay, welcome back to State of the Nation. And we're very happy to welcome our next guest, friend of the program. He's a Newsweek contributing editor. He also writes, well, he writes for just about everybody, Daily Caller, among others. Uh, and Peter Rolf joins us. And Peter, uh, welcome to the program, my friend. It's good to see you. It's the uh, Iowa caucus, the raucous caucus in frigid temperatures today. I'm wondering, and of course, today also we got news that the, uh, what is it, the uh, the latest polls from uh, from Biden, ABC Ipsos polls, 
31% approval, Peter Roth. Uh, where are we going from here? What do you what do you predict out of Iowa, first of all? Welcome to the show, man. Well, it's a lot easier for Joe Biden to get to 20 than it is for him to get to 40. He is <laughs> shedding voters left and right. Here's why. We have two Americas. You know, John, John Edwards, when he ran for president back in the last century, was right about that, but he was wrong about what that meant. We have an urban America and we have a suburban rural America. We have red state America and blue state America. Now, the last time this country was divided like this was probably around 1860, and the divide was geographic. Now it's cultural, and it forces people to live side by side, neighbor to neighbor. Biden's agenda has been designed to appeal to the elite 1% who really helped to put him in office. He campaigned as moderate Joe Sixpack. He is governing like Joe Weinbaum. He's an elite, he's a snob, he is appealing to progressives and victims and, and, and high level, highly educated, highly cultivated victim groups inside the black community, the Hispanic community, among women, among um, African-American women in particular. And as he does that, he's shedding voters who like Joe Sixpack. Now, the problem is most of the country in terms of population is located in that urban demographic. You know, the vote in New York City is large enough to tip, to actually weigh heavily on the outcome of the vote in New York State. The vote in Los Angeles, San Francisco, San Jose, large enough to tip the balance of the rest of California. Um, so you've got to contest these regions. But as, as, as Biden, if you if you want to think of it in, in, a, in a word picture, Imagine Biden has the whole country and his strength is shrinking and shrinking visually till it's just going to be little dots on the map. And those dots are going to be New York, Philadelphia, Chicago, Atlanta, Denver, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle. Still lots of people, still a lot of voters, but not representing the communities that represent this country. So, Peter, what I'm hearing you say is that locations like you just rattled off um, are experiencing still sort of a uh, they told us to watch out for long COVID. But it sounds to me more like long Trump derangement syndrome is really the uh, the, the brain worm that we're dealing with in these places, because I would wager that even in those places that would did would and or did vote Biden. Um, largely reacting on on that premise. Uh, what do yeah. you think about that? It, it yes and no, and and Trump derangement syndrome is real. Uh, and and anybody that that doesn't believe that needs to go into their local wine bar and shout Trump at the top of their lungs and see what happens, <laughs> and they will know it, 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 that it's real. But 
I have long believed that Trump is not the cause of what's going on in America right now. He is a symptom of what's going on in America right now. People feel increasingly that the elites in both parties who have led this country since the end of the Second World War have become more and more concerned about America's role as a global partner than they have about the best interests of the American people. And they're not listening to them. They're not listening to them on, on taxes, on spending, on education, on health care, on food policy, on energy, on transportation. There, there are states in this country where they have or are trying to make it illegal to sell cars with internal combustion engines in them. They want to force people to buy $70,000, $100,000 electric vehicles and either pay to install chargers in their homes or in their communities using tax subsidies, and they're going to make these cars supposedly cheaper, actually less expensive on a purchase price basis by giving tax breaks to people. But as my father used to tell me, before you can take advantage of the tax break, you have to earn the money. And these people are not earning money, but they're being forced into electric vehicles or to give up their cars altogether because the elites think that's good. That's good for fighting global climate change. Now, even if you accept that global climate change is a reality, and I don't, or that, that global climate change caused by the productive activity of mankind is a reality, and I don't necessarily accept that, your solutions to that problem have to be in line with what the planet needs, but also with what people need. We should not yeah. be forced to diminish our standard of living in order to satisfy what are potentially false flag fears about global climate change. The elites don't believe that. That's why they're losing. That's why Donald Trump resonates with so many people, because he is not afraid to tell people who think that way that they're stupid. <laughs> and they are. Uh, uh, Peter, listen, we got to take a quick headline, but when we get back, I want to kind of follow up on where you're going with that because uh, uh, it, it's very reminiscent of what happened in towards the uh, the end of the Gilded Age when we had a big populist movement uh, and we saw big corporations in those days, it would have been the robber barons, they called them, uh, really colluding with the government and saying the hell with the little people. It seems like we're kind of in a second robber baron era here in the United States. We'll touch on that with our guest, Peter Roth, right after this headline on TNT. Have you heard the news? The news, the news. Now, TNT Radio News. This is the news. 
For TNT, this is James O'Neill. North Korea fired a suspected intermediate-range ballistic missile into the sea on Sunday, South Korea's military said, two months after the North claimed to have tested engines for a new harder-to-detect missile capable of striking distant U.S. targets in the region. Dr. Anthony Fauci is retired as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, but GOP Senator Rand Paul continues to accuse him of mishandling the COVID-19 pandemic and making the worst decision ever made by a public health official in the history of time. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab, or Getter? Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Okay, and we're back with Peter Roth on State of the Nation. Now, Peter, uh, before we took the headline there, we were talking, uh, I was mentioning that uh, it's very, very reminiscent of the populist movement of the late uh, 19th, early, early 20th century. Uh, I was watching a, a, a really wonderful documentary on the Gilded Age, and they talked about Coxie's army and this guy that really rallied the people from various sects, whether they were farmers or industrial workers, black, white, didn't matter. It was a populist movement. The government is screwing us. The government is... Uh, is colluding with big bankers, in this case, J.P. Morgan. The government is working uh, with uh, Vanderbilts on the railroads and Carnegie and the steel industry, and they're crushing the rights of workers and all this. It was a very populist movement. And, of course, it was basically shut down. It was ignored by everybody until eventually it became too burdensome for the government to ignore it, and changes came about. Well, now here we have this green energy push, big tech, uh, alternative fuel industries um and and are we in the are we in the middle of a second robber baron slash government collusion era in our in our period in history right now because that's what well, it feels well, like well first of all where some people see robber barons i see innovators and job creators here here uh, i agree i mean these are the people that 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 spearheaded who had the capital resources to spearhead the industrialization of the united states and the western world Andrew Carnegie, J.P. Morgan, J uh, David Rockefeller, Cornelius Vanderbilt. These people are heroes to me. Are, are, are they entirely ethical? Probably not, but they're still heroes to me because of what they accomplished. What America is today would have been very different if, if they hadn't accomplished the things that they had accomplished. We would be living literally in a parallel universe. And, and I, I, I challenge anybody, would you rather live today or be John D. Rockefeller, the yeah, world's first billionaire. I'd rather live today because I can walk into my kitchen and get ice cream out of my freezer whenever I want. John D. Rockefeller didn't have a freezer, didn't have ice cream, hadn't been invented yet. And if I don't have any ice cream in my house, I can pull up an app on my smartphone and somebody will bring it to my door. And John D. Rockefeller didn't have that either. But what we have today, we have because of the innovators of the late 19th and early 20th century, which laid the groundwork for the innovations of the 30s and 40s, which laid the groundwork for the innovations of the 80s and the 90s, which have given us what we've got. And, and important to these innovations is the ability to get government out of the way. There are people now who, who again, and, and there are economic nationalists on the right who are rejecting the free market for the idea of a centrally planned economy because they don't like the way companies are behaving. Um, you know, antitrust is sort of is sort of the first brick in the wall of the progressive economic agenda. And they want to use the government 
to break up Google and to break up Meta and to break up Amazon and to break up companies that don't behave the way they want them to. And, and the argument is, well, they're too big. Well, that's mm -hmm. just nonsense. Um, every big company started as a small company um, or most every big company. I mean, some of them were spun off interestingly enough, by the orders of the government, um, and were spun off into, into two big companies from one really big company. But the idea that a government can run a company better than, than smart, innovative American business leaders is nonsensical. And while you may have concerns about the behavior of Google or Meta or Amazon, and they may even be justified, the place to work that out is in the free market and potentially in the courts, not through government regulation and not through administrative action at places like the Federal Trade Commission to break those companies up. Because I guarantee you, what you're going to get is going to be even less to your liking than what we have now. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that, Peter, mostly. My only concern about this one is it seems to me that um, the FTC as you know, and the government itself, especially in particular, um, the intelligence services don't want to see any sort of breakup like this because those companies are effectively wings of the government. Meta, for example, um, may have even come from government. Uh, there was a DARPA project. I can't recall the name of it. Life something that closed down the day before Facebook well, well, opened. The, and, the, inter um, the Internet is a government project. Yes, that's, exactly. That's, the that's, Internet that's, itself. Yeah. The, inter the Internet started at DARPA. It was supposed to be a way for for really smart people to be able to continue to talk to each other in case some kind of nuclear attack took out the phone system. Right. And you it was know, dark. But, but, but what do we have now? We have TNT Radio Live. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, DARPA LifeLog. Thank you. Um, DARPA yeah. LifeLog was was that program. And, and now we have Facebook. So it's like they get so much information. There's I guess what I'm trying to say is there's so many billions of dollars in business and advertising on top of the amount of big data that government security agencies uh, and advertisers have access to over it. And we've seen attempts at sort of disrupting that, right? Like using the free marketplace to attempt to disrupt it, for, disrupt it, for example, um, Truth Social or, um, you know, uh, Parler. And, and they were completely shut down by that system. And where's the government stepping in? And, they don't seem and, to want to step in. And, and I think it is, it is legitimate to say the government has a role to play in preventing potential competitors from shutting down access to the marketplace. They can't, they can't allow businesses to behave in a way that closes off the access of competitors. On the but, data but, point. But Peter, I would just I would just interject real quick. I agree with you, and I'm total free market guy. That's where I come from. That's my that's my lane. Uh, you know, a, a rising tide uh, rises all ships, and and all of that. I agree with it. The problem, though, is you've got these companies that are hand in glove working with the government. Look at Twitter beforehand. Twitter was absolutely doing the work of these three letter agencies that Hesher just mentioned, and as soon as Elon Musk buys it. Now what are they doing? They're turning their guns on Elon Musk because they don't control him anymore. And I think that part of the reason that they were hurting hand and glove is because since the 90s, 
the government's approach to big tech has been light hand, limited regulation. And they were these these companies were probably directly or indirectly threatened with heavier regulatory regimes, with yeah. more intrusive government if they failed to cooperate. The fact that the companies chose to cooperate in order to protect themselves from the regulatory gender is not their fault. It's the government's fault. And and there's legislation out there. And I I, I think it's Senator Rand Paul that's proposed it. I'm I'm not sure um that that wants to wants to basically make it a violation of the law for a federal employee to use his power and position to influence the behavior of a tech corporation or frankly any corporation so that right. you can't use the regulatory threat on wow. the data point and this is important and this is something that i think people are increasingly going to wake up to and the data companies are going to have to deal with it, is the question is, who owns your data? Does, yeah, does, yeah. Does, does, the, does the tech entity that collects information because you go on and use their site, do they own your data or do you own your data? It's, it's kind of like your email. If, who owns your email? If, if you get an email at work, does, does your company own the email? Do you own the yeah. email or is it just yeah. sort of there? And if the government wants it, they can go get it. Yeah, we're kind of in the last days of the Wild West with that. Peter, listen, we got to roll, but one a one word answer for you, a uh, question for you. Who wins Iowa today? America. <laughs> Good because answer. We're less, we're, less, we're less than one year away from a different president. There you go. Peter Roth, thank right. you from your lips to God's ears. Thanks for joining us on State of the Nation. Thanks, we'll guys. be back. We'll be back right after this on today's News Talk TNT. While serving in Afghanistan, I was hit by sniper fire. The fighting was so intense, the medevac chopper was barely able to land. In the hospital, I was given a 5% chance to live. It's a good thing math wasn't my best subject. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I talk to kids about dealing with life's struggles. I tell them, with a little help and a lot of work, that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. I know that some struggles are big and some are small, but they're all struggles, and you have to learn to get through them. With support from DAV, more veterans like me can live their best life. And as a new father, I have one more reason to keep on keeping on. My victory is being there for the next generation. Adam Alexander, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Meet Norm. He lives with anxiety. But with the help of this latest innovation from Be Normal, he can be normal. Just like everyone else. With the swipe of a finger, you can project happiness, confidence, machismo. Why settle for being real when you can be normal? The Normal Maker, new from Be Normal. This item doesn't really work because there's no such thing as normal. We're all different. What we like, how our brains work. In fact, one in five of us live with mental illness. Don't filter who you are. Start by talking to someone you trust. And remember, there is no normal. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Well, it's a federal holiday here in the United States, and it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Now, um... This holiday is observed here in the United States on the third Monday of January each year. 
And I probably don't need to remind you, but King was the chief spokesperson for nonviolent activism in the civil rights movement, which protested racial discrimination in federal and state law and in civil society, probably most importantly. Um, the movement led to several groundbreaking legislative reforms here in the United States. And if you ask me, many of those reforms are now under attack. DEI, CRT, systemic racism, school trajectory, media, politicians, and that blue-haired lady at the checkout stand all want us to be categorized, divided, polarized against each other by intrinsic qualities, physical qualities, namely race. Joining us now to discuss is Project 21 member Dawn Marie Borsico, uh, and she's the owner of An Uncommon Voice Coaching and Consulting and the host of Life, It's Only a Decision, which you can find on Facebook and YouTube, and The Process, 319 with Dawn Marie. Dawn Marie, welcome back to State of the Nation. It's lovely to see you. It's MLK Day, and I'm curious, how do you think Dr. King Jr. would feel about DEI, CRT, and our current social trajectory in the United States? You know, I can't speak for him, but I can look, speak for the legacy that he left. And we know that the purpose of that legacy and his mission was to make sure that Black Americans and all Americans for that right had, were judged and given opportunity based on their inalienable rights, not for the color of their skin, but based on what they bring to the table, their abilities, their talents. And I think right now it is an absolute travesty of what we see that's happening in our nation as it relates to race in this country. Yeah. Hey, Dawn Marie, uh, Steve here. It's so good to see you. you um, as well. I, I, I just, I, it's, you know, call me a cynic, but I, really I'm a realist here. I see what's going on. Uh, we all see it. Identity politics. I think it's been played to death. I think it's the, it's not just a dead horse. It's a, a it, it's a withered carcass of a horse and it's continually beat upon uh, by people that, that wish to divide. Uh, divide and conquer goes the uh, goes the adage. And uh, at what point is the left, and for that matter, the right people that play this game, what are they going to say? Enough. We, we're done with this. This isn't what we've had. A we have a a, a, a African American first. Well, actually, I think she's Jamaican American. I don't know, but she's a black first lady. We had a black president. We've got black governors, black mayors, but yet they can't let go of that. It seems to become a. a we know it's been a political cudgel. But is that cudgel getting smaller uh, and and is it as significant as it once was? What we have to do is take our power back as people. You know, we need to build relationships with one another. And it's, it's funny because you'll watch the news and we're all divided and we hate each other and black, you know, racist. And if you're a male, then you're toxic and all this nonsense. But when you get out into the real world, people are doing real world things. They're building relationships. They're taking care of their families. It all boils down to one simple thing that's not yet so simple, and that is mindset. We all know there's an old adage that says, as a man thinketh, so is he. So when we spend more time concerned about the externals, if I spend more time, Steve, worried about what you and Brian think of me, that's less time for me to do what I have been called to do in this earth. 
That's less time for me to exercise my talents, my abilities, my giftings. That's less time for me to connect with the people that are going to come around me and to support me. So once people get sick and tired of being sick and tired, once blacks and whites get tired of the division, when we come together and say, well, what, what's the problem? How can we come together? Where have I been ignorant, both black and white. Once we become come together and stop allowing these uh, pundits and these negative leaders divide us, that's when it's going to turn. Because when we begin to take our power back, they aren't going to be able to pit us against one, uh, pit us against each other any further. Yeah, you know, uh, Don, I just watched. Uh, poor me, I just watched this film that was produced by Barack and Michelle Obama. It's called Leave the World Behind, and essentially it's an apocalypse movie, and it's based around the concept of what the World Economic Forum has been experimenting with, doing little tabletop exercises. They call it Cyber Polygon, but basically it's a scenario in which all the communications and, and digital bits and baubles that make up uh, the United States get turned off, and people start turning on each other. And I couldn't help but notice in the film that there is this concept of um, race built into the film. There's um, an African-American father and daughter, and then a white family. And watching the dialogue between them and knowing that a former president of the United States, the one that ran on hope and change, which, you know, is a huge can of worms, um, you know, uh, produced this film. And in, in one scene, you've got the, the young black woman and she's talking with her father and she's schooling him on why he can't trust any white people in an apocalypse. And I could not help but think in a situation like this, I feel like America, yes, it might experience something like that in urban centers, but I feel like the wider aspects of our population would not behave that way. I mean, I have neighbors of all colors and creed. I'm friends with all of them. If we all lost our power in my neighborhood, I feel like we would band together. There would be no discussion of anyone's you know, state of melanin. I mean, wh what do you think about this? Again, I'm a relationship girl. I've studied mediation and conflict resolution, and I've looked at the mindset of people when I was working on my other graduate studies. And again, we have to come back to a different mindset and we have to come back to some level of spiritual beliefs. At the end of the day, we cannot continue. I don't care if you're fat, white, black, overweight, skinny, whatever the melanin in your skin is. If it's your earth suit, I don't care. And we have to get back to the content of to the way people are. In America with the gas prices and inflation, who has time to be worried about I mean, the color of your skin. We are all trying to live and to make it. I, for whatever reason, Barack Obama does what he does because he continues to foster that seed of unhealed uh, uh, traumatic generational uh, racism that has happened in our country, and they keep fueling it. And it's something, if you look at the literature, it's called collective memories. Let's think about it, guys. If you and I were all in an environment where, let's say, something tragic happened to us, and then somebody else came in and kept stoking that fire and stoking that fire, would that fire ever go out? And that's yeah. what you have. 
as we as Black Americans move forward to success, you have somebody else saying, uh-uh, you can't trust them. Uh-uh, don't do it. They're not worthy. But I, as a Black American, I don't want my, uh, when I go to do coaching or go into a corporate environment to do a, a training, I don't want them to look at me and go, oh, well, you know, we can't trust you because you're Black. And I don't want to look at my doctor or whoever else that way. So we need to, again, all take a look at ourselves because nobody is walking around unscathed. We have all, whether directly or indirectly, contributed to the problem. Maybe it's just staying in our own world in our own little a bubble of our six degrees of separation and we haven't reached out, which then could give the impression that one may be something that they're not. So we all have to make a consorted effort to come alongside this issue and say, no, we're not going there. Because if a bomb hits America and it's not looking too good, what we see going on in our nation, who cares? Can you save yeah. me? Do you have food? Do you have water? And we see this happening in Florida and other places where there are hurricanes. I even saw in the height of 2020 when there was a natural disaster, that somebody had a meme that said, nobody cares what color you are when you have a boat. Because I need the boat. That's right. And that's what we need yeah. to be looking forward to. We can't keep letting these people divide us because there's no black and white heaven if you believe in heaven and there's no uh, division in that respect and anything else. So we just have to just stop the nonsense and come together. I, th I think I think you're spot on. And I, I, I really do wish that people would, would would heed your words. And and I think most I think you're right about one thing. I think the vast majority of people, Americans in this case, do just exactly that. And they, 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 if, if they're in the middle of a flood, they're just looking for a boat. They don't give a damn what color the skin of the captain of the boat is. But that, but, but that kind of goes to the point though, doesn't it, Dawn Marie, that that's the reason these divisions are, are th this wedge is driven because if we ever did come together, God help the politician that drove us apart to begin with. So they can't ever let that happen. It seems it does seem there's a concerted effort to make damn sure that we're all envious or angry uh, at our fellow Americans, I think it's uh, I think it's a crying shame, and I think that there are people on both sides that are guilty of it. But exactly, because here's day, what happens when we bring our differences, when we bring the fact that most Black people are more um, um, outspoken and they're very uh, colorful in what they do, right? They're very gregarious in what they do. That is excellent. We need to post that in some sales uh, trainings. We need to get people to do that. And then we may have white Americans that are more, uh, maybe a little more quiet or whatever it is. The beauty of it is that when we bring these people together in community in a workplace, we add flavor, we add divert, and that's the positive side of diversity, not this negative earth suit kind of what do you look like kind of thing, but what do you bring in your talents and abilities that maybe comes with your culture? You know, we all love the blues. We know where the blues came from, but look at how it influenced everything else. So when we begin to separate, nay, nay, let's not do that, but let's celebrate the differences that the cultures have and how that can help us as Americans instead of trying to maybe assimilate. Maybe we got it wrong a little uh, early in our founding because we didn't know that people were going to do what they're doing now. But now we need to learn to celebrate the differences and look and say, like a good recipe, how can I add that to what I'm doing over here to give me success and to add to your success as well? 
I mean, that's that was the whole thing. That's where we were headed in the '90s. In in my perception, it's like okay, we're we're at this point now. The old ideas of judging people by their skin color and you know whatever cultural archetypes might be you know in in one's own software were sort of falling to the wayside. And it was the same with sexual preferences too. You know, there wasn't. A whole lot of you know just hatred over that kind of stuff i mean maybe maybe a little bit on the evangelical side you know of course there's the the fringe extremes but i feel like the larger segment of the population was on a much better path before i don't i don't know when it's did it start with hope and change i mean did barack obama is that sort of the benchmark to look for when when dei and social justice started to become like, you know, the big linchpin, the long pole in the tent, especially for young people in our college systems. I mean, what do you, what do you think about that? I think that we've, we've redetermined or redefined what acceptance means. Um, I don't need to validate you uh, and what you do to accept you as a person. And so now what happens if I disagree with you, all of a sudden that means that I don't accept you as a person. And that's not true. I don't care if you're transgender, whether I agree with it or not. I don't care if you're gay or lesbian. I don't care whether I agree with it or not, especially in the work environment, because we're there to do a job. Now, if we are able to have affinity groups outside of work and and get along, great. But not everybody's going to get along with everybody. So what has happened is we've changed this narrative to where if you dare to disagree with me, then you're an evil person and you know we need to vilify you but again i believe that there's more of us that are on the positive side that says look if you want to be friends and relate and have a relationship and celebrate each other's uh talents and abilities i'm willing to do that because i don't need to agree with everything about you but i think what's happening is because people are suffering Right now, they want validation. Well, I don't need validation. I, I have validation by something greater than anybody can give me. And people have to find that. If they believe that they're supposed to be something or do something, then you need to recognize that you're, and if you believe that your creator created you that way, though I may disagree, then you need to walk boldly and be who you were called to be and stop asking for everybody to accept that. Jesus didn't do it. So why are we asking people to do it? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Well said. I mean, I, well said indeed. I, I, I think that the whole, uh, to Hesh's point, I think, I don't know if I would lay this all on Barack Obama. I think Obama took full advantage of it, but I remember back in the days of uh, Clinton and back in those days, it wasn't called cancel culture. It wasn't called diversity, equity, and inclusion. It, it, it was called political correctness. And, oh, and that's, that's what, yeah. Yeah, and that's where we've gone. We've gone from political, politically correct to uh, everything that's come after, and it's just been kind of a nightmare in a lot of ways. And I certainly do hope that your words uh, fall on some very uh, willing ears because that's what we do need to look for the best in each other and stop looking for the differences. And and really, even more so, uh, Dawn Marie, is stop paying attention to the people that are telling us to look for the differences, right? When we understand the real definition of love, Love is not about performance. Love just is. And that's what we have to get better back to. I don't need to validate you. I don't need to ex agree with what you do to, uh, to love you because I'm loving you because of your inalienable qualities as a human being and as a person. 
But unfortunately, when people are not possibly comfortable in themselves, they need that validation. Because we all wake up in the morning and we know, okay, maybe that wasn't a good day, or maybe I shouldn't have said that. So when we begin to love people just because they are deserving of care and compassion, and be and understand our own maladies, understand our own faults, then I think it's gonna be a better place. But as long as we keep thinking that we're an idol unto ourselves and people have to bow down to what we, we gotta, think and feel. We gotta run, Don. That is very well said. We really appreciate you. Uh, project.